everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Practicology Podcast today. We are so happy to have you with us for episode 99, and this will be our last episode for 2022. We have been putting out at least once weekly episodes for almost two years now, and we are going to take our first ever recording break in our two years of podcasting. Lord willing, we'll be back with you with another episode up on January the 8th. Yeah, and it'll be a special one. That'll be episode 100, and we'll be expecting something extremely epic from you, Matthew. Speaking of epic, please remember that in this coming February, I Love to Read Month, we will be going through John Bunyan's epic book, The Pilgrim's Progress. So make sure you have access to that book so we can read it together and then think about it together as we devote five or so episodes to covering themes in that book beginning in the month of February 2023, Lord willing. Yeah, and some of you will be aware that there's actually two parts to the Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, first, John Bunyan wrote part one, which covered Christian's journey to paradise. And then later on, a few years later, he wrote a second part where Christian's wife, uh, Christiana, I think it is, she makes the same journey. And uh, just to clarify, we're only going to be focused on part one. So don't worry if the edition that you find uh, doesn't have that second part about Christian's wife in it. And just a reminder, there's lots of great editions, of course, of Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, but if you're looking for one and you're lost in, in the abundance of options, uh, you could check out the one published by Crossway, edited by C.J. Lovick, L-O-V-I-K. He lightly updates the English. He has a restrained number of Bible cross-references, and he offers some very judicious comments uh, at the end of the book that are a real help in, in enjoying Pilgrim's Progress. Mike, what does the word judicious mean? Uh, am I using it the wrong way? I think it means like like well proportioned, right? As in like not too. I don't know. Okay, good, good to know. I was just curious. That's enough for about. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> don't call me on stuff like that. Uh, you can. <clears throat> I think you can include this back and forth in the final cut. Well, that's enough about next year, Mike. You still have one last episode to do today to round out 2022. And if I know you as I think I know you, it's going to be something that relates to Christmas. Yeah, well, one of the things the mischievous side of me loves to do when I speak in December is to announce that I'm going to be reading from a Christmas text in the Bible. And maybe some people start actually flipping to Matthew 1 or Luke 2. And it's then that I ask everyone to open their Bibles to something like Ezekiel 4 or Hebrews 2 or in the case of this episode, to 2 Kings 11. Right, all because standard all standard Christmas references, absolutely. That's right, I'm, I'm sure you preach them too in December. Uh, and the reason is, it's because there are lines or currents that run through the whole Bible from the first page to the final page, and, and these lines run right through the Gospel birth narratives. They don't start or stop with the Gospel birth narratives, but they run through them. So we're going to be looking at 2 Kings 11 verses 1 to 3 in today's episode. And in three short verses, scripture records how the queen mother, Athaliah, kills her grandkids so she can go from being queen mother to queen. Uh, Matthew, why don't you just give it a, a read for us from your CSB translation? Excellent translation choice. I will do that. Okay, here's the Christmas story from Mike Knox's perspective, 2 Kings 11. When Athaliah, Ahaziah's mother, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to annihilate all the royal heirs. Jehoshaphat, 
who was King Jehoram's daughter and Ahaziah's sister, secretly rescued Joash, son of Ahaziah, from among the king's sons who were being killed, and put him and the one who nursed him in a bedroom. So he was hidden from Athaliah and was not killed. Joash was in hiding with her in the Lord's temple six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. Mm-hmm. So here's how we're going to tackle this. There are three verses that we've just read, and we need to and we need to look at three people. We need to look first at Grandma Athaliah, then Jehoshaphat, and then Joash, the one boy from David's royal line who escapes this massacre to become king. So let's start with Athaliah, and I'm calling this first point Christmas at Grandma Athaliah's. Imagine going for Christmas to Grandma Athaliah's. I mean, after all, she's Ahab's daughter and likely Jezebel's daughter, meaning that, yes, her parents are one of the wickedest duos ever. They were the king and queen who did so much damage over the northern kingdom of Israel. You can read about it in the history books of our Old Testament. But here she is. She's married into the line of Judah. She married Jehoram, king of Judah in the south. And when Jehoram became king, the first thing he did was to kill all his brothers. And I wonder if Athaliah had anything to do with suggesting that that wicked notion. Well, with all his competitors gone, Jehoram turns his attention uh, to making some royal babies. But he gets a taste of his own medicine when some enemies come and take his sons away from him and kill them. One son survives. He's the baby of the family, the youngest son of the bunch. His name is Ahaziah. I think you pronounced it differently, Matthew, but I'll just go ahead with the way I say it. His name is Ahaziah. His mom is Athaliah. Well, King Jehoram dies, and so the crown goes to his youngest and only surviving heir, uh, and Athaliah becomes the new king. All right, so hopefully you're getting the picture here that this is a pretty dangerous family to be related to. And just before our passage in 2 Kings 11, there's this wild chariot driver named Jehu who kills King Ahaziah and a bunch of the rest of the royal family. And so that's the backdrop to our chapter. And then our chapter begins... When Athaliah, Ahaziah's mother, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to annihilate all the royal heirs. She destroys the whole royal family. Why? For her career. Grandma Athaliah kills her sweet little grandkids because she's always dreamed of being queen one day. And she probably didn't win Focus on the Family's Grandma of the Year award that, that day or that year. But, Mike, I take it, it it's likely that she's not just going on this killing spree because she lusts for power, but this is demonstrating uh, a hatred for God and his purposes, right? Is there, is there something more going on than just her personal career ambitions? Yeah, I think so. And that's why we're justified in calling this a Christmas text, because this isn't just a, a grandma always wanted to be queen and so she kills her grandkids story, but this is another attempt by the enemy to thwart God's plan to save the world. And so, remember God's words to the serpent way back there in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And this is the beginning of war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And just like a war consists of many, many smaller battles, so this war includes lots of skirmishes and battles throughout the history of the Bible. There's Pharaoh trying to kill Israel's baby boys and 
course, there's Herod in Matthew 2, tries to kill the infant Jesus. Come to Revelation 12, we see this dragon. Uh, he's, he's waiting around while this woman gives birth because he wants to devour the baby when it's born. And so Grandma Athaliah's murderous plots are born from a hatred of God and his purposes. She's, she's animated by a hatred that comes from hell itself. And, and so this is the first point that I'm calling Christmas at Grandma Athaliah's. This first point reminds us that Christmas is war. And, and this is our takeaway from this first part of the story. We need to remember that we are in a cosmic struggle, a war. There's no neutral ground here. At Christmas, many of us enjoy, you know, some rest and time with family and extra special feasts, and that's all good, that's wonderful. But we must never drop our guard, even during the holidays, that we're always in a great war, even at Christmas. Truth. And it has been said that if you're going to have a nativity set, it should include a couple mean-looking Roman soldiers with cruel-looking swords. And so often the war you're referring to is directed against the young, against children. And so often the people in the Bible that God uses to overcome that evil are unknown women. And I think we see that with the character you're going to point us to next, Mike. Yeah, that's right. So let's look at her. She's our second character, and she's Jehoshaphat the woman who saved Christmas. So we're turning from Grandma Athaliah to the woman who saved Christmas. Uh, Helen and I are hoping to watch the movie about the man who invented Christmas this year, about Charles Dickens and his book about Scrooge. But right now we want to think about the woman who saved Christmas. It'll help us to think about her if I first tell you about two lines. Uh, the first was an electrical line that ran from my garage to our camper. This was just a cheap extension cord. It wasn't really doing anything important. No biggie if our camper didn't have power for a while. And so I started getting really lazy when I was cutting my grass. I was too lazy to, you know, unplug the cord and wind it all up and then cut the grass and then plug it back in. And I very foolishly and stupidly began to mow right over top of the cord. And uh, I, I cut my backyard many times that way, never had a problem. But then the one time my neighbors were watching me cut the grass, uh, the blade caught the cord and cut the cord and there was a big zap and thankfully the only thing to be hurt was my pride. But the point was I wasn't careful about protecting that line because it was not important to me. But in my previous work I was responsible for this water line that ran under a river and you know under several fields to to supply our site with water and we found out one summer what happens when that line develops a leak, hundreds of people potentially without water. And so after that bad incident, I began to take really good care of that water line. So, so two lines is what I'm saying here. One was important, one not so important. And I took vigilant care of the important line just because of how much was, was riding on it. Well, God has a line. We, we mentioned it earlier. It's a human line of offspring that began with Eve, went to Abram, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, and Judah, and so on. And by the time of David, it had turned into not an electrical line, nor a water line, but it was the Davidic line. God promised that a Messiah would come <clears throat> from this line. And understandably, this line was extremely important to God. All of God's plans depended on this line. All his promises depended on this line. If something happens to this Davidic line, there will be no Messiah. There will be no salvation, no eternal kingdom. There will be no Christmas. And look at how vulnerable this line became in our story. 
What with all the killing rampages of the years and chapters just prior to this chapter, and, and with even King Ahaziah now dead, the Davidic line must run through one of the royal offspring still alive in Jerusalem. But Grandma Athaliah is there, and she is dead set on cutting this line for good. She hates God and his plans. She hates God and his kingdom. She hates God and his Messiah. So she kills and kills until there's only one baby boy left, Joash. And if she finds and kills that baby, God's promises and kingdom and plans and salvation, they all come crashing down to the dust. But guess what? God cares about this line. And he has someone waiting in the wings to scoop in and save the day. And her name is Jehoshaphat. And the gifted preacher and commentator, uh, Dale Ralph Davis, he famously calls her the lady who saved Christmas. She, she's also Joash's aunt. And she sees what's going on. She steals the baby away and hides him with his nurse in one of the bedrooms belonging to the house of the Lord or the temple. And so uh, David calls her Jehoshaphat, the godly kidnapper. So Davis writes, uh, Who could have known that about 840 BC, Yahweh's whole plan of redemption would hang by a single fragile thread? God's intentions to bring his Messiah into the world through David's line will come to nothing if Athaliah makes David's line lineless. But isn't it fascinating how Yahweh always seems to have one of his subversive agents ready to frustrate the designs of the serpent's cronies? Yahweh's plan of salvation looks so terribly tenuous and open to sabotage as it wends its way through history, but he always seems to have an unknown servant in deadly places to foil the enemy. I love the story, and uh, it's so remarkable how it did seem to be hanging by a single thread, and yet at the same time, the Lord is still in control and making sure it's preserved. It's wonderful. So your, your first point, Mike, as I recall, was that we need to remember we're in a war, even during this season when many of us enjoy relaxing and time with family. We're still in a war. We need to keep up our guard. And as you point us to Jehoshaphat as one of God's agents in that war, I guess we need to determine within ourselves that we could be, we could be one of God's unknown servants too. And Dale Ralph Davis adds to this too. He says, he, he, you may think that your service for Yahweh is not crucial like Jehoshaphat's. I am, you might say, seldom or, or never thrust into dramatic scenarios like the one she faced. Well, are you sure? Davis asks, are you sure? If you are a Christian parent, you have responsibility over the church that is in your house, where you are meant to serve as a prophet, priest, and king, he says. He, he outlines that like this. He says, as prophet, you teach the word of God to your children. As priest, you intercede and wrestle in prayer for them. As king, you rule over them with proper discipline and protection. He says, it's because my parents understood that, that I am in the kingdom of God. So don't tell me your kingdom service doesn't matter. There's a, a, a practical outworking of this, of how you may perceive yourself to be an unknown servant, but how the Lord can use you to preserve others for his kingdom as well. Yeah, that's an excellent application, Matthew. And, you know, maybe someone's thinking about this and saying, well, I can't even be that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a mother, I'm not a father, I'm single, or, or I'm unable to have children or whatever, but, but maybe you're an aunt, right? Maybe you're like an aunt like Jehoshaphat or an uncle, or maybe you're just a, a person in, in the local church who's going to uh, be called upon by God to take care of some child or to help stir up a new generation to the Lord and so on. So yeah, I really like that application. 
Well, let's come to the final part now, uh, which is number three. We're looking at the baby Joash and we're talking about the greatest Christmas secret ever. The greatest Christmas secret ever. There are lots of great secrets kept this time of year, but look at this one in our text in verse three. It says, Joash was in hiding with her in the Lord's temple six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. And so for six years, God's people thought it must be over. For six years, it looked like evil had won for good. And for six years, Athaliah thought she'd gotten away with it. But all the while, God was looking after his line. All that time, hidden away in the temple, there was a little boy from David's line who was the rightful king. And if you read the rest of 2 Kings 11, you'll read about how Jehoiada the priest, who is actually Jehoshaphat's husband, by the way, how he carefully reveals this great Christmas secret, much to the joy of the nation and much to the despair and chagrin of poor old Grandma Athaliah. That's a classic scene. I love it very much. Yeah, so hopefully, you know, for some of you, this is just making you curious and you're going to shut this thing off and read 2 Kings 11. It's a great chapter. Uh, but, but, you know, there's been some dark days in our world, and I'm picturing Herod's soldiers coming back from the slaughter of the infants, and Herod says, so did you get them all? And someone says, you bet, your, your majesty, you know, we killed them all. But they were wrong. The king of the Jews was still alive. Or the religious leaders in Jerusalem 30 years later, you know, is he dead? Yep, I saw him myself. He was dead on that cross. Water and blood came out of his side. And then the first person says, well, that's the end of him then. And the other person says, thank God you're right. But they were wrong because God was caring for his line. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. The line hadn't been cut. The line uh, of Judah was still very much intact. And now this same one, he sits on heaven's throne as Lord. Right now, his supremacy is hidden. Terrible evils happen in our world. And many of us are praying about the evil taking place in Ukraine this year. It seems so unfair. Or we think about the war on life, you know, in terms of babies in the womb or those who are elderly or weak. Or we think about the diabolical forces at work wanting to harm children in other ways. You know, the, the company American Girl and their new book encouraging teens to be open to taking puberty blockers to keep their gender transition options open in the near future. And, and all of this is, is part of this war. It's so harmful. It's damaging to the vulnerable and the young. And we think, ah, oh, evil is won. There's no hope. Injustice reigns. No, it doesn't. Amen. This is the best secret of all this Christmas. The true Lord and King is very much alive. His Lordship is admittedly, for the moment, hidden. Hidden in the house of the Lord in heaven. But one day, it will be made visible. Yeah, how about Colossians 3 and 3? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. Not only will he appear, but we will appear with him. And then, uh, then the secret will really be out, won't it? That we are associated with the conquering victorious king. So let's do three things this Christmas. Number one, remember we're in a war, even at Christmas time. Yes, feast and, uh, and rest and laugh this Christmas, but make sure you do all that with your armor on and your sword drawn and your knees bent in prayer. Secondly, let's give thanks for the lady who saved Christmas. Uh, Dale Ralph Davis quoted a number of times already in this episode. Also tells us we should thank God for Jehoshaphat. He's so quotable. Uh, I'm going to quote him one more time. He says, If Athaliah had had her way, 
there would have been no angels or shepherds or swaddling clothes or good news of great joy. Today, you'd better thank God for the lady who saved Christmas. So that's number two. And then number three, finally, let's kindle in our hearts a strong, confident hope based on the solid fact that God has made Jesus Lord and Christ. The secret is starting to get out. One day, the whole world will know who the real person in charge is. And in that light, I'll just quote a few lines from Malcolm Geitz, a poem called The Refugee. And uh, the last a few lines of it go like this. Whilst Herod rages still from his dark tower, Christ clings to Mary, fingers tightly curled. The lambs are slaughtered by the men of power, and death squads spread their curse across the world. But every Herod dies and comes alone to stand before the Lamb upon the throne. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the poem. Thank you for the teaching. Thank you, Mike, for the reminder that the Christmas story is found in 2 Kings 11 as well. And thank you to all of our listeners, not just for tuning in today, but for tuning in so much through the past year. Uh, this is why we do the podcast, that it will be a, a spiritual blessing and a help to you. And we thank you so much for tuning in and the encouragement that you bring in your feedback to us. Thank you. Thank you for those behind the scenes who, who work to make it happen too, like Daniel Barber and Allison Flint. We appreciate that. And as we mentioned, there's not going to be a podcast coming out on December 25th or January 1st, so don't worry when that doesn't show up in your feed. Uh, we're taking a little bit of a break for the first time, but we'll look forward to being back with you in January. Hope you tune in again then, Lord willing. And let me just close with this prayer from Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Amen.